Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And welcome back for another episode of Wade for Wireless with all your wireless updates, news, and information. Just sit back and relax. Hey everybody, this is Wade with Wade for Wireless, and today I want to talk about the art of solutioning. Now you may call this estimating, you may call this uh, putting a bid together, putting an offer together, putting a solution together, putting a product together, but I'm often tasked with putting solutions together for services to deploy systems. So the one thing that you learn by doing this that many times is that you can't always foresee what's going to happen. But first, I want to thank Tower Tracker Pro, my sponsor, TowerTrackerPro.com, for your closeout package needs. I also want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction, TowerSafetyAndInstruction.com. I'm sorry, I almost said .com, but it's TowerSafety.com, TowerSafety.com for all your tower training, health, safety, rescue, and tower drone work needs. TowerSafety.com. They also have Teletech-College.com for your online training needs. Now, let's look here. Solutioning, estimating, things like that. This is all something that most of you may have done or may not have done. It depends where where you're at on the deployment totem pole. I say solutioning because that's what you're doing. You're really building a solution. Many of you probably say estimating because you're coming up with an estimate for the customer. So whether you look at it as estimating or uh, solutioning, You have to figure that out. But I'm going to go by radio sites because that's easiest and simplest for me to explain. Let's look at what you would have at a radio site. Now, from a high level, it looks easy, right? I mean, from a high level, you have the radio head if you need it. You have the BBU or the controller. You have power. You have backhaul. You have fiber jumpers. You have antennas, power supply, rectifiers, or the hybrid cables. From a high level, it looks easy, right? Hey, that's all we need. So how do we mount the crap? Oh, suddenly now you need a tower mount, you need snap-ins, you need an outdoor cabinet or a rack for the shelter, a rack, let's say to mount a rack in the shelter of the room. You need clamps for the antenna, you need junction box where needed, you need conduits. You start breaking it down, you realize you need a lot more crap. <laughs> so I say crap, you know what I mean. There's a lot of materials that you need that many people just don't think about from a high level. Great, we have a high level solution. Now, What does it take to get it mounted? What I mean here is the services. You could have a site walk team, right? That could be part of it. Site acquisition's part of it because you have to know what's going to be at the site. You have to take care of the leasing. You have to get that done. You have the tower crew uh, to do work on the tower or the rooftop. You You might have a ground crew to do the cabinet installation and the cabinet work. You may need civils done. You may need to add a concrete pad at the site. You may need an electrician if you have to add power, breakers, or additional runs. You may have a commissioning engineer to get this thing up and running. Usually they install it. Someone's got to come out, power it up, and get it up and running. You may have drive teams to optimize and test the site or the cluster, however you're going to do it. You may have an RF team that that aligns the RF design with the actual coverage. That's very important. Then you may have the remote networking team. They have to integrate the site into the core, take care of the backhaul. You have network teams that make sure that the router's up and running. You have fiber providers in case we need to add or upgrade to fiber backhaul. Microwave in case you have a wireless backhaul. Closeout package, you have to do a closeout package. And how are you going to manage all this? You're going to have project management. I know each of you probably have your own project managers, but you're going to have a PM out there that's overlooking, overseeing everything. Chances are one to oversee the project and then one to communicate with a customer. You could even have one for each function out there. So a lot of PMs. 
Then what about all the incidentals along the way that say the installers have to worry about like zip ties, weather seal, electrical tape, fuel to drive to the site, meals, hotel per diem, things like that. Suddenly, it seems like a lot, doesn't it? It all adds up and it takes a savvy and creative team not only to put it together, but to come up with a way to do it better. So what we used to do is just came up with the models and we would do it, go out, finish it, do the job, right? And that is something that we often do. We often just go out and do the job, try to get it done. What we have to do in today's world, we have to come up with new ways to be efficient. And it's really hard with the way the carriers do everything because they break everything down by task. And I'll give you an example. Like years ago, back when it was just 2G, maybe some 3G. It was a different way to roll out sites. You really had the cell site tech that did a lot of the work at the sites and the tower crew did a lot more. I, I remember working on a crew and we would do everything from installing the antennas, installing the base stations. We would power everything up. We'd work with the cell tech to get it up and running. We would commission it, get the power going. We had an electrician run the AC power. But other than that, we literally did almost everything. It was done in... Uh, took us about a week to get a site up and on the air. Now back then, you still had drive test teams and things like that, but you could get a lot done with a smaller crew. But the carriers, I guess, thought that was too much money. So they came up with a way to break every particular function down. I remember AT&T doing this first. That's how they created the turf system. I wonder what they think of it now, because the turf system broke everything down and put every function out to bid. So now you just had the tower crew doing the tower work. So you had a specialist to climb the tower. You had a rooftop crew doing the rooftop work. You had a specialist doing the rooftop work. You had a ground crew doing the groundwork, meaning installing the BTS and doing all that. And that's all they did. Then you had someone commission the site, integrate the site. Everything was broken down by a different function, more or less. They broke all this down. They got the turf system going. They, they put everything out to bid, each function of it. No more turnkey. Now, I get it. They wanted to eliminate a lot of margin, but I wonder how much more efficient it is now than it was then. Just sort of curious. So when you look at that model now, they broke everything apart. While it seems more efficient, they probably did save a lot of money. They got rid of a lot of margin. They really cut down costs, drove it down to the bare bones, but they also had to hire a ton of people <laughs> to manage this internally. A ton of project managers. You need PMs everywhere. You also need a bid team. You need bid software. You need a way to get it out there to communicate. You need to fill out the RFP and the RFI. And you also not only fill out one for the master, but then you break it down for each function. Somebody's got to do that, right? So now they have a whole army of people that just do that. They really know very little about the site, but they sure know how to do all the paperwork, manage it, and put it out to bid. Now, I don't mean to give these people a hard time. You know, they're working hard at what they know, but they don't need to know about the site. They need to know how to break the scope down. They need to know how to put it out to bid. They need to know how to call the contractors and get the feedback from them. What they may not know is all the real work that needs to be done out there are things that they missed until they see the change orders. That's a constant disconnect, by the way. The change orders that are filed versus what you put out to bid. Sometimes you know, the, the, the estimating team, the solutioning team doesn't see the change orders, the problems out there. That could be another breakdown. Now, I got to tell you, when I'm doing this, I, I always try to get feedback from the field. But the tower crew or the crew on the, the, that's out there, they have their things that they see, the commissioning engineers, the optimization engineers. Everyone sees a different part of the job, right? You have, S, you have the construction team. You have all that, right? There's a lot more to it than that. Normally, my go-to team is the project management team. If you have a project manager that's overseeing the project, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, they know exactly what's going on. 
To me, in today's world, the project manager is key because they're the only ones that really see it end to end. You would like to think they see it from site acquisition to optimization, but I think the carriers broke it down even more. So only the carrier sees it end to end. And uh, I, I don't know what they would share one share. But I know when you're working with the contractors, a project management team that sees it end to end really has a good understanding of what the problems are and what they're going to be. What gets dropped through the, uh, let's, let's say just drop, just missed. Sometimes you just miss things. They also see like surprises that can come up. They can take a best guess on what surprises you're going to see where. And a lot of times they'll know the site and the issues at the site. I'm going to give you an example, like doing work in the Northeast, in the Southeast, in Central, in the Northwest, in the Southwest, all the different regions, you could have the same site in all five areas but it could be very different work, and I'll tell you why. One area could be union. You'd have to have a heavy union presence. So if you don't hire union guys, you're not going to get your work done, right? Uh, union, prevailing wage, things like that. Another area, they might not allow you to climb the tower. You might have to use a crane, just regardless, because of state law. Same with generators. You might not be allowed to put a generator in because of state law or there's problems with pollution, that's a common thing. Otherwise, you might be, at hire, might be able to hire anybody to do the work. That's a common thing in some regions. Other regions, you can't. You have to have specific people work on specific towers. And anyone that's ever worked on American Tower or Crown Castle, they have to be certified to work with American or Crown Castle. So there's a lot of things that get involved that you have to go through. You have to know. And it's very regionalized. It's very hard to do a nationwide quote. Although I work on that stuff all the time. You can build models, you have to account for it. Some areas you make money, some areas you lose money. It's just the way it is. But the worst thing you can do is make a lot of assumptions, which, which I do all the time, and I try to overcome that. I try to work with the project managers or the guys in the street. I try to talk to the contractors because I think what happens is you make a lot of assumptions. And that brings me to my Mark Twain quote. Mark Twain once said, according to my quotes here, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. What does that mean? That means chances are you made an assumption that's wrong. <laughs> you just guessed wrong. And that's a problem. That's where a lot of these problems lies, when you just guess wrong. So sometimes we're just wrong. Other time, but when I say we're wrong, I got, I got to be honest with you. I was working on an offer here recently, and sometimes we're wrong because we assume that something's going to go good and it won't. That's pretty common in the industry. But sometimes, sometimes we assume there's going to be five steps when there's only three. People tell us, yeah, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do this. This is a waste of time. You don't need to do that. It goes both ways. That's the point I'm trying to make here. In other words, that's our worst thing we can do. It's not what we don't know. If we don't know, we'll ask, we'll find out, we'll, we'll, we'll research it. But if we think we know for sure and we're wrong, that's when we run into problems. See, ignorance isn't bliss in this case, but ignorance makes us ask questions. When we don't know, we ask the question. At least if you're uh, doing your job, you ask more questions. With that said, a lot of people jump to assumptions. There's a lot of things that people think they know, and you just have to keep asking. So it's really hard when you just make assumptions. By the way, that's a problem I have. I do make a lot of assumptions. I just assume things are the way they should be or go the way I think they're going to go. And it pays to ask questions or have someone speak up and straighten me out. I really appreciate that. I think some people do, some people don't. Hey, I don't mind being wrong. If someone comes up and says, you're wrong, I'll ask them why. And as long as they have a good explanation, like if you just say you're wrong, you're an idiot, you know, that hurts a little.
But <laughs> if someone comes up and says, hey, you're wrong because here's what really goes on at the site, that, my friend, is a good thing. That's what we all want. We want to learn. Learning is the key here. I'm just talking about solutioning because that's our job when we estimate or try to pull together stuff like that is to build a solution to try to put everything together and do the best we can to estimate whether it's the cost, the parts, the hardware, the services are all needed for this job. I just want to tell you a side story. Now, this is more in product management, but years ago, I was working with a team really that was working with a carrier that wanted to design your own indoor small cell. Now, normally, a carrier would tell the OEM what they wanted and the OEM would put it all together and also include what they felt was needed. Well, in this case, the carrier thought they knew best. They were going to commit to over a thousand units. They were sure they knew what they wanted. So when they looked at the design, they said, you know what? We want this. We want that. It's indoor. And uh, then we suggested, well, don't you want power over ethernet? Because that would save on a lot of call. I mean, that would save a lot of problems in deployment. They said, you're an OEM and you just want to get more money out of us. You're just trying to suck more money out of us. No, we don't want POE. POE costs more money. So we said, so let me get this straight. You're going to run Ethernet to it over Cat5 for wherever to the, 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 the data room. And you don't want power over Ethernet. They said, you're just trying to get more money. Power over Ethernet's an expensive option, which it really isn't. I don't know why they thought that, but they were convinced. So these guys said, no POE. Now, they, they wanted a bunch of other boneheaded things. I could go into it, but I'm not going to. I just want to make a point. I picked this one thing to make a point. They would commit to over 1,000 units. They were sure that they would put in 20 times that number, okay? These are all the things you hear up front when you're, you're working with a, a customer to uh, design a product. Of course, they're going to buy a billion of everything, right? And it isn't like we were forcing it on them. This is what the customer wanted. So we gave the customer what they wanted. Gave them their small cell. We gave them their product and their band and their spectrum with their features. Might have been 3G, might have been 4G. I think it was 3G and 4G exactly the way they wanted it. You know what? They handed over the deployment team and they said, here, put a thousand of these in. So the first building we did, we were going to put them in the ceiling, right? It was a very small unit. And guess what? We weren't allowed to run AC power in the ceiling. <laughs> or if we did, we had to put it in conduit. Or we had to put outlets in near each one. Now, suddenly, the installation cost goes from having a guy go out there and mount each one in the ceiling and run Ethernet to it to a guy going out there, mounting everything, running Ethernet to it, and then trying to figure out either if he can run power through a conduit or if they had to put an outlet in at every one. And there were distance limitations with the power. It was just a stupid design. So they did one building. It was so expensive to deploy, so expensive to install. I remember, I don't even think the customer bought a thousand units. And I know they didn't install the units that they did take. <laughs> I mean, it was just a complete waste of time and money for everybody. So the OEM, what'd they do? They had to scrap a design. They ramped up. They tried it. They lost money. The carrier bought so many, deployed maybe a fifth of what they had if they're lucky. It was a complete bust because the people that deployed it did not think it through end to end. And that's what I'm saying here. So when, when you're doing estimating or solutioning, I guess my point here is you have to think through end to end. You can't just assume somebody's out to screw you over. You have to weigh out what they're telling you. People are telling you this information for a reason. They're not just saying it to make more money. We all want to make more money. You know what I'm saying? If cost is a factor, that's one thing. But if you're trying to tell a team, hey, running AC through a ceiling is 
a problem. And they just say you're trying to get more money off of us. That's that's a problem. Alarms went off, but there was nothing we could do and just the way it was. But it doesn't matter. That's done. That's in the past. And I learned a lot from that. I really did. So it's just a good example of how you need to think things through. In services and deployments, even in these wireless solutions, if you can do the same thing, if you can think it through and think what's needed, that's a good thing. Because a lot of these, you have to think of your backhaul. You have to think of your power requirements. You have to think of the height, the distance, the mounting conditions. You got to think, is it outdoor? You also have to think about the seasons and where it's at. For instance, summers in Phoenix, Arizona, pretty brutal. Might want to have a sun shield. Winters up in uh, Kennebunkport, Maine, pretty cold up there. You might want to just, you know, have a heater or something to keep the equipment stable. I'm just saying, sometimes you need to think these things through. If you're going to go near the ocean, you have to think about how the salt's going to eat away at your metal. It happens. Trust me, I've seen it. You really have to think about the environment as well. It's hard to prepare for everything. But if you know where you're installing, you can prepare for most things. And when you're estimating, it's the same with services. Are you allowed to climb? Can you climb? Do you need union labor? Do you need a crane? Do you need an electrician to run the AC power? Chances are you do in every state now. Do you need to add a breaker in a breaker box? Are the rectifiers going to fit? You know, things like that. Do you have airflow problems? You know, maybe you're going up on a rooftop and you're going inside the room and there's no airflow. Maybe it's 130 degrees in there because everybody else's equipment's in there. You have to really be aware of what you're doing, where you're installing. But by the same token, if you're building out a nationwide build, you have to come up with the best solution you can. Then you have to average it out. Anyway, getting off track. What about you guys? Do you guys, do you ever have a job go really bad and, and you just didn't know what to do or how to fix it? Or you just lost a ton of money and you just did it because you wanted the reputation of your company to stand firm? Did you ever have a job go really good where you made a lot of money? You know, in both those scenarios, if you tell the customer you lost money, but you agreed on a per site basis, they don't care. However, if you have a real strong scope of work and you can do change orders that are outside that scope, then they care then it matters. On the other hand, if you made a lot of money and you tell your customer, hey, we made a lot of money, then they care because they want money off because they feel like they got screwed. You know, you can't always be so honest. <laughs> we do the best we can to make money and it just seems like the customers, many of them, don't like when you make money. On the other hand, a lot of them like when you make money. So it's great if you can come up with a win-win solution. But I will tell you this, I know I talk about the scope of work all the time, and I do have scope of work training, wadeforwireless.com. I have a lot of books too. The point is, if you can estimate the best you can, come up with the best solution you can, and you can please the customer, that's the number one goal to give the customer what they want and try to make them as happy as they can be. You're not going to do it every time, but if you can do it almost all the time, life is good for them, for you, for everybody. Hopefully it's a win-win. I'd like to say you'd win a lot more work, but in today's world, almost everything goes out to bid. You can be the greatest contractor in the world, but if you're $10 more than the suckiest contractor in the world, the suckiest contractor in the world's going to win more work just because they're cheaper or until they get shut down or until they're blacklisted. Just the way it is, man. I wish I could say it's a perfect world, but it it's not. But anyway, let me know. Wadeforwireless at gmail.com. So I'd like to promote a couple things. One is Techfecta. Uh, it's my consulting company that soon is going to be... Uh, I'm going to start a subscription service on it. So you can download these PDFs, audios, and things like that anytime you want and have it for yourself to look at. How cool is that? I have the scope of work training. 
I have the LTE Deployment Handbook, the 5G Deployment Handbook, the Smart City Tech Handbook, and I have the Smart City Tech Use Cases Handbook. Put out a lot of Smart City Tech books this year. I'm on Amazon, search Wade Sarver. I'm on LinkedIn, if you wanna look on LinkedIn. Again, Wade Sarver, uh, Facebook, Wade for Wireless. At Twitter, at Wade for Wireless. But the best thing you can do is subscribe to this podcast. You can do it on iTunes or you could do it on Stitcher or anything else. Again, Wade for Wireless. Go to my website, wadeforwireless.com. That's where you'll find this blogs and probably about 350 more just like it. I don't know what I'm up to. Probably right around 350, 400. Let me know what you're interested in. Keep one thing in mind. Be smart, be safe, and pay attention. See ya! You have the wireless deployment handbook out there. That's right. At wadeforwireless.com. You have the wireless deployment handbook that is on sale now. And now it's available in paperback on Amazon. Can you believe it? Wireless deployment handbook available on Amazon in Kindle version and paperback and also available in PDF. Go ahead. Check it out. Wadeforwireless.com. Hey folks, it's available. The 5G deployment plan. That's right. The 5G deployment plan handbook. I have the ebook out there for you. An Amazon paperback, a full color 8.5 by 11 inch version, the Amazon Kindle version, the full PDF on Cellfi, and the full PDF on Gumroad. It's all about the 5G deployment. Go to wade4wireless.com and look for 5G deployment plan. It's in there just for you. I'd like to take a moment to thank my sponsors, Tower Safety and Instruction, found at towersafety.com. I'd like to thank them for all the good work they do in training. They're an accredited school out in Phoenix, Arizona, but they serve people nationwide for all your tower training, safety, and drone training needs.